thankful to be here this morning in a different way than I am usually. I, uh, just to share a little bit as we get to know, continue to get to know each other. Every once in a while, I, um, like most people, I get a migraine headache. And this morning, I woke up a lot earlier than I usually do on a Saturday morning. It was about 6 o'clock in the morning. And um, I just had this horrible splitting headache. And so I, I have to go through this process whenever I have a migraine. And um, if you ever suffered from one, I, I've never been diagnosed with them, but I, I kind of, I guess I have those symptoms is what I've been told. Um, it's, it's painful and it's slow, and so I begin to go through this process. And um, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it here this morning, so um, I kind of sent a text to the elders, hey, we're not meeting this morning, kind of as a, so one of you might have to preach. I didn't tell them that, but that was the idea. Uh, but thanks be it to the Lord that... Um, I feel better, and uh, I'm just I'm glad to be here to worship with you. And it's interesting how things work out, because a month ago when I had the, the, the outline or the gist of this morning's sermon, um, the idea that God leads us beside still waters and he makes us to lie down in green pastures, uh, I was actually going to do a sermon on Sabbath and how Sabbath is one of God's way um, to kind of lead us into that and as I was, I, was, I was doing the study and as I was just continuing to work on this, God led me in a very different direction. Um, and what's interesting is I don't like it when God teaches me something that I actually have to go through myself. You know what I mean? Anyone? Like I prefer, I prefer God. I prefer to learn about God and his character by just reading the Bible and just understanding it. But every once in a while we, we go through things and God uses those opportunities and as I mentioned to you today, this morning during our prayer time, you know, my family right now is going through a very difficult time. Um, the, they were out hunting, uh, a, a dad, a son, and a cousin. And as the dad was putting away, um, putting away the guns or unloading them or whatever, it went off. Um, so it's not just the, the loss of a son, but it's, it was at the hands of a father. And so as, as I've been going through this and just trying to kind of for me to process this and for my family to process this, it has been a very difficult, difficult ordeal. Our kids went out there, two of them went out there to be there with their cousins that are the same age from that family to kind of lend them support. And so um, they just came back last night, and I know it's very emotional for them. And I know Kim's been on the phone with Kylie, you know, every minute of every day because of that. And so I pray that you would lift up my kids. Um, it's, it's their cousin. And so I... I, I would ask that you lift them up in prayer for some time to come, um, because for them it's, it's a very difficult time still. So will you will you pray with me? Oh God, as we now enter into your word, as we now enter into this time of dialogue with you and of conversation, and Lord, we pray that you would give us a fresh truth this morning, and that you would make the scriptures come alive in a way that maybe we haven't for us in the last week. In the name of Jesus, we so the question that I want to begin with this morning is, do you think that God ever gets tired of taking care of you? Do you? Do you think God ever gets tired of taking care of you? Now, I know that the right answer, the theologically correct answer to give is, no, God never gets tired. So let me frame the question in a slightly different way. How many of you have a friend or friends who there's always something going on in their life and it's the end of the world? And it's always so terrible and dramatic, and this person said this, or that person said that, and this is what happened to me at work, and I'm late on this payment of my car, and they're going to come take my car away. And everything is just so highly dramatic, 
and all they do is talk and talk and talk, and after a while, as much as you love them, they just drain the life out of you. And you, when you need them, are not there, they're not there. So, how do you think God feels when most of the time what we do is we're coming to God and complaining about the things that are going on in our lives and we're just complaining about how difficult my mom is or my dad is or how difficult our children are or how whatever it is. And so the question is, we get tired of people like that. Does God ever get tired of taking care of us? Not tired as in I'm done with you, but I'm tired. How many of you have a smartphone where you get your emails to your phone? I've, I've gotten down to the point where I've turned off the notifications on my phone because I'm tired of receiving emails. I'm not, I don't get a lot. Okay? We're a small church. I don't get a lot of emails. Actually, you guys don't email me very often, so I'm thankful for that. I mean, that you're not complaining to me. Some pastors get a lot of complaints via email. I don't. You guys are a good church. I, I appreciate that. But still, you get emails for everything, and so I've, I've learned to shut that part of my phone off because I don't want to have to get them every single moment of every day because sometimes I get tired. And so I wonder, does God get tired of my constant, constant asking and asking for stuff that I think that I need at the moment? Here's another illustration. A couple of years ago, I was a single, handsome young man. I'm, st- I'm still youngish. But all that mattered for me was, what do I want to eat today? What do I want to wear? Where do I want to eat? Where do I want to go? Do I want to go to the gym? Do I want to work from the office or do I want to work from home? Right? For the most part, everything and anything that mattered, do I make the bed in the morning? Do I not make the bed in the morning? Do I allow my room to become a mess or do I decide to clean that up? Do I do laundry? Do I not do laundry? Everything that mattered to me was what I wanted, what I needed, what mattered to me. And then almost overnight, I became a husband and a stepfather of three. Now, I'm the kind of person I was raised, and I'll just say it this way, I was raised old school Mexican style, and I know Bob's going to like chuckle at this later because he doesn't think I, I am. But, but we were raised very hard, very strict, like no matter... No, no matter what happens, you're going to get through it, whatever, if, if, you know, fix it kind of thing. If something's broken, fix it. Uh, don't complain. Don't, you know, all of that stuff. Just do it. And so I thought, how hard can it be to be a stepfather of three? <laughs> Love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, hasn't, it, it, it isn't always easy because I don't know the nuances of how to even be a parent to begin with, but a step-parent, that's even harder but what I mean by this whole story, because I love these kids and I love my wife, and they're amazing kids most of the time, but the, the reality is I went from only caring about myself to now I need to care for four other people, okay? And so what happened is oftentimes what, what, as parents, and if you're not a parent, um, that's why I gave you the other illustrations, because this is the same, same analogy. Um, what happens is now my wants and my desires always have to take last place. Well, to be a good parent, your, your wishes and your desires they must always come last. Because children, they cannot fend for themselves. Children can't go out and get a job and feed themselves. So our whole life should be enveloped around our children. doesn't mean we give them everything we want. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we put them first because that is the people that God entrusted us to care for. It's our sacred task. And so what has happened for me is that I went from only caring for myself 
to now I have to care for so many other people. And after a while, you know what? I get tired of taking care of the kids. Sometimes after a while, I'm tired, and they're not bad kids. They don't yell at me. They don't talk back usually. They don't, you know, they, they're just kids. Not the way I was a kid because my parents hit us. But I can't hit these kids. And, and the truth is, is that sometimes I get tired. Now, there's a study that was done among stay-at-home moms, and they, one of the questions that was asked of these stay-at-home moms is, what is your favorite room in the house? And what did they say? The bathroom. Because they can go in there and lock themselves in the bathroom, not, not necessarily to get away, but if they have to go use the restroom, and then they can stay there longer because that's the only place that is sacred and quiet because the kids can't come in. This is a real study. Now, I'm not a stay-at-home dad, but I get it. Like, I get it. That's my favorite room in the house. And the question remains, I get tired of taking care of my kids a lot. I get tired of doing a bunch of things. Not tired of it, but I get tired in the midst of doing it. And so the question is, does, does God get tired? Does God get tired? And I know that the answer that we, that we give to, to this question is, no, God never gets tired. But the thing is, if when you begin to think about it, it's like, if God never gets tired of taking care of us, it kind of should, should shape like, like that, we should stand in awe of a God who never stops giving. Wouldn't we stand in awe and love a God that much more who, I mean, we're ready to, you know, to quit at every moment when things get tough, but God's like, no, I am committed to you from now until the end of time to continually be there for you. Because the best analogy that we have for God is as of God as a father. That's what the Bible uses. That's what the Bible writers have used to describe God. And so that's the best that we have. And I'm a father. And I get tired. And so my question, I continually come back to God. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you continue to keep on caring and giving and loving us. Because oftentimes, if we're honest with ourselves, <laughs> the lights went off in there. <laughs> I have to get off the stage now. No, oftentimes, oh, what's the train of that's why you'll make jokes that are not prepared. Okay. And the other question is, does God get frustrated when we don't get it? Does God become impatient when we, when we seemingly seem to look the other way? And so that question has been lingering with me. And the question then that comes with that is, if God does get tired, does God get to lock himself in the bathroom for a while? And if God did that, what would happen? Because the Bible in, in Acts chapter 17, I believe I have this, says that in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. Which means that God doesn't have the option, and of course understand I'm using that as a metaphor, okay? But the thing is that God doesn't have an option to lock himself in. Because God has committed to be a God that is with us. And it is in this God that we move and live and have our being. Our entire existence is that this God breathed the breath of life into us. And so when you, if you're having a horrible day, a difficult time, and I know I say this all the time, but as long as you're alive, there is always an opportunity to get past whatever you're going through and be able to experience victory after. 
And it's not always easy when you're going through something extremely difficult. You know that. But that's still the way that God works things out is that no matter what you are going through, God is the one who is there consistently leading you forward. And so God doesn't have the luxury to lock himself in a bathroom. And this is why. And I want to look for you. Besides the fact that God probably doesn't use restrooms, but 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 through 20 says this. And as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. This is the apostle um, talking to the church. And so it, it was a conversation about how they say, look, we've been wanting to come to you. We've been wanting to come and visit your church, but we haven't had the opportunity to do that. And though, although we're saying, yes, we want to go, sometimes human beings, when we say yes, we can't always follow through with it, but we still want to go. So they're having this conversation with the church. And so they're saying this, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we are proclaiming among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in God it is always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason it is through him that we say the amen to the glory of God. Here's what that says. When God says he's going to do something, God does it. God follows through with it. Which is why even if God got tired, okay, it says he rested on the seventh day, okay? That can be another theological conversation another day, okay? At the end of creation, then God rested. But if God did get tired, and if at any point God wanted to check out of the business of being God and being our creator and the one who protects us, if at any time he wanted to do that, he wouldn't. Because he made a commitment in creating each one of us that he would be there for us until the very end of time. It's kind of like the marriage vow that you make through good and through bad and through all the other stuff, right? In sickness and in health, all of that stuff. I would say that God makes that covenant to us from the very beginning when he creates everything. And if God chose to create us and love us, then there is no part of God that will ever not love us and not care for us. Which raises an interesting question. How many of you, and I was having this conversation with a good friend of mine last night, um, he was he was asking me about God's love, and, and we were talking, and, and he says this. He goes, so are you, t he goes, so when it comes to Christianity and to God and to faith, if you're good and you love God and you accept Jesus, then you're in. And if you don't accept Jesus or don't believe in him, are you out? He says, because for me, um, for my son, if my son disobeys me, if my son does something that maybe hurts my feelings, I don't stop loving him. That pain that is caused by that is because I love him so much. And I love him even more, even though he may have done something disrespectful to me. Now, that's a very deep, deep thought. Because you see, if, if we act like that with our children, with our friends, I mean, if you've ever had a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend that has done something that hurts you, and you love them, or your wife, or your husband, or your friends, right? It hurts because you love them so much. So don't you think that when we do something that maybe hurts God's heart, God doesn't stop loving us. God loves us even more. Now, I'm not telling you to go do bad stuff so God can love you more. That's not what I'm saying. But it's the idea that when God says yes to us, it is always 
yes, which means that God will always be there for us, no matter what, no matter how good we are or how bad we are, because what we do on this earth doesn't earn us God's love. We already have it. And I hope, I say amen to that, um, because that's where the freedom to be a Christian comes in. And it's the idea that no matter what we do, there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. And that's an important message because I think that even for myself, I consistently struggle with trying to be a better person. I consistently struggle with trying to be without, with less and less sin in my life. And when there is a sin, and I know it's a sin, I try to get rid of that sin, right? We all do that, kind of. I think we all innately want to get rid of the sin in our lives. And sometimes I think that I have to do this because if I don't, then God's going to punish me. I'm a pastor, and I know that's not biblically correct. But that's still how I feel sometimes. And I have to remind myself that no matter what, if I get caught up in the game of having to earn God's favor or earn God's love or earn God's salvation, that I've missed the point of what a loving God really looks like. And we come to a passage like this in Psalm 23, verse 2, and we come to it here where God's yes is always yes. For humans, we may tell our wife we love them and then one day decide that we don't. That's what humans do. But God is not like that. And if God is not like that, then we should live in the promise of that. That is what the victorious life or the victorious limp really looks like. And so I want to I wanna get into something here that's going to, I hope, change the way you see things. Psalm 23, verse 2 says this. He makes us lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. So I have an illustration that I want to read to you from a pastor. And this is what he says. Some years ago, our church added a building that included a new office suite. The interior decorator wanted a soft green color scheme in my office. I wanted brighter colors. Finally, she explained to me that because I would spend much time counseling people, most of whom would be in disturbed emotional state, the green color scheme would be more appropriate. Green soothes the emotions. Red excites them. My last office was like a deep red, but I didn't know that. So I think it's still <laughs> Rookie red excites them thus she had heard thus she had her way shortly after entering the new office a lady came to see me who was emotionally distraught after i had counseled and prayed with her her emotions were more under control she remarked the green in this office is so soothing so here's what this is why it's important where do you get an abundance of green in this world? Outside. For, uh, for the most part, depending where you live. But, but yeah, green is built into the very fabric of this world. It's in the grass. It's in the trees. It's in the plants. It's in the flowers. It's everywhere all around us. And so you ask the question, do you think God, in his infinite wisdom, did that on purpose? Because even at Eden, before there was sin, before there was death, before there was anything else, there was everything green because soothing and goodness is good whether you're having a good day or a bad day. God in his infinite wisdom, in my opinion, 
because I have not spoken to God about this, but this is just what I'm, I'm making these connections, that perhaps when the psalmist writes that God leads us by, to lay down in green pastures, that's the metaphor that God will do all that he can, that when we are in pain and trouble and afflicted, he will soothe us. It's why our natural reaction is to go to God because we are in need of that. How many of you have ever been indoors all day? And, and sometimes the thing that you need is I just need to go outside, and that's soothing, it's therapeutic. I think God did that on purpose. I think God does things intentionally and on purpose because he knew what we might be going through. Now, let me read to you from another passage just so you kind of begin to see this so you believe me. It's for the wrath... <laughs> did I get the wrong one? So here it is. For the wrath of God, I, I did too many of the verses. Let's start, yeah. For the wrath of God is revealed from, from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those by whom their wickedness suppressed the truth. Here we go, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that God has made. So they are without excuse. So even in the in nature, we see God's goodness, His love, like who God is, is experienced in nature. But I want to take it one step further. God is the one who comforts all. God is the one who tries to soothe us like a parent when we are hurt. And when we are in nature, it is God's way of helping us to soothe in a very busy hectic world. Amen? Which is why it is so therapeutic and healing when we are outside most of the time. Because that's God's way of building into this perfect creation a way for us to be able to connect with Him in a very special way. When I was in El Centro, I used to drive about one mile to the church every day. And I decided once the weather cooled down that I would walk more because it's less than a mile. And as I walked, there was things that I noticed that I didn't notice when I was busy driving right past everything. And there was a little patch of grass. It was like a little park or something um, where you could go and just kind of sit. There was benches. Um, it was nice. It was beautiful. It was serene. You see, in the desert, you're not used to seeing a lot of green. And so, you, you know, you just kind of pass by all of the stuff. But when I walked, when I spent time outdoors and I found this place, it was soothing and it was serene. And in my heart, I know that it was God's way of reminding me not to go past everything so fast, not to go, not to be indoors all the time, not to drive everywhere if I can walk there, because nature is God's gift of healing and soothing us. And so we have, he makes us to lie down in green pastures. And then the next part of that text is, he leads us beside still waters. Now, for the Old Testament people, water was a negative thing bodies of water they held uncertainty how many of you have ever been on a cruise ship and you've gone at nighttime and you go over to the edge you know just to look over and you think to yourself if i fell in i would probably die because no one would know because there's so much uncertainty because there's such a big expanse that it's scary and what if there's like a sea monster kind of idea that they had back then not now <laughs> maybe still now and so for the old testament people for the people that were writing this the waters water had a negative connotation. It was scary. It was dangerous. It was, we don't want to go to the waters. And so I want to look from the very beginning of scripture 
It says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Metaphor, metaphorical language, that the waters, they're, they're, they're the same as chaos, as danger, as nothingness. And so it says, as God was coming over the face of the deep, and his face hovered over the waters, he was making a statement to all of us that would come after him. That God, this God of creation, has the power to even control the waters. Amen? Here's what it means. Waters, bodies of waters were kind of assumed to be chaos and chaotic and dangerous and unpredictable. And for God, he says, even I have control over those things. Some of us would say it like this, that out of chaos, right, the face of the water of the deep of creation, out of chaos... God creates beauty. So in our turmoil, in our difficulties, in our trials, in all of the things that we face, when they're bad, God has the power to overcome even those things that seem insurmountable. Because he is the God that from water, not necessarily from water, but over the face of the water was a metaphor for them. He creates beauty and perfection. And so the question continues to keep coming back to where is God leading us If he is our shepherd, where is he leading us? And according to the psalmist in verse 2, it says that he will make us to lie down by green pastures and he will lead us beside still waters. If God is our shepherd, he will continually take us to the place where you can be rejuvenated and made whole again. The Bible, time and time again, is of the God who doesn't leave us alone, but who does everything God can to rejuvenate us to us and to mend us. The Lord leads us beside still waters and green pastures. God is really saying, I will always lead you to safety no matter what. And the idea behind this to you and me, we know what it means. God is always going to protect us. We know this. We've heard this. Pastor Dave, your youth and your inexperience is showing because you're teaching us a sermon that we've heard many times. And it's something that even Christians know, that God is always going to take care of us. God will always lead us. But we don't buy into that all the time because we see all of the difficulty. Because we see all the other leaders in our lives. And they don't always lead us the way we must go. So anytime there is a new president, right, they make all of these promises on campaign trail. Do they ever really fulfill them? Hardly ever. They tell us where they're going to lead us, but we don't always get there. House of Representatives, the Congress, the Senate. Those are our leaders. They're supposed to lead us to safety all of the time. But the truth is it hardly ever, I mean, not safety, but you know what I mean, to a better future. And it doesn't always happen that way. And pastors, they, they're supposed to lead us somewhere, and we sometimes fail. And, and, and so we have our managers at work, our bosses. Those are our leaders. We're supposed to, they're supposed to lead us to the place where we're supposed to go. And oftentimes we fail. So when we then use words like, but God never fails, even though we want to believe it in our hearts, sometimes it's difficult when we see everything around us. And so I, I want to close with a final illustration. Oh. I, this is last week's here. Okay, let me go through this. Oh. Hey, hey. Oh, there we go. So, in the Mile High City of Denver, it was probably in the early 80s when I was barely being born. Bob could probably help me with this. Because the Broncos used to beat the Raiders all the time. 
And um, the savior of the city arrived wearing number seven. His name is John Elwood. He was the man who was supposed to lead the Broncos to an infinite number of Super Bowls. He led them to many, and they lost a lot of them. And so finally, in the late 90s, he leads them to not just one, but two Super Bowls, and they win. And he is justified, and he is vindicated, and he retires. But John Elway, whether you love the Broncos or hate him, whether you, you know, whatever it is, whether you're a fan or you're not, everybody will say that this guy is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. One of the best. Because he's John Elway. Because he was the comeback kid. Because as long as he was on the field, his team believed that he would lead them to win, even if they were losing 21-0 to with five minutes left in the game. As long as he was in the game and had the ball in his hands, the entire city believed that they would win. The entire team would believe. The coaches would call him plays and know that he would execute it, and he did a lot of the times. Many come from behind wins. They would win and win and win, and finally, he won the Super Bowl. And then he retired. And when he retired, they have got, uh, by the way, I'm a Bronco fan, but when he retired, they went through an endless stream of worthless quarterbacks. I'll say it. I don't even know if they've gone to the playoffs. Some of the guys, some of the guys in the booth are laughing, okay, upstairs. I don't even know all the quarterbacks. They had a ton of horrible quarterbacks. They never made it to the playoffs. They never, I mean, and if they did, they would lose in the first round. And then finally, there was a guy who came in by the name of Jay Cutler who was supposed to lead them to victory, and then they traded him because they didn't like him. And so now, tomorrow, they have a new leader by the name of Tim Tebow. The city wants him to lead them to victory and dominance once again. Everyone is saying he can't do it. I mean, I, would, I couldn't take the field if I were him, all the criticism that this young man is getting. He's like 22, 23 years old. The whole city is wanting this guy. They begged for him, for the coaches. Play him, play him. He's the third-string quarterback. Third. And the city says, may he lead us to the promised land again. This is him who will lead us. We don't know where he's going to lead them. He may be just as bad as all the other ones. But do you see what I'm saying? For God, he is not like Tim Tebow. God will lead us to victory every single time. And we don't have to wonder if God is going to be like all the politicians in our country or all the sports leaders or all the pastors. We don't have to worry or wonder if God is going to let us down like all of these other people have let us down because God, his yes, is that he will do everything and he will stop at nothing to get us through whatever we are going through. And even when things are good, God is still there too. I once had, I once had a, a parishioner of mine um, at, tell me, he goes, I hate it when pastors always focus on, oh, you know, things are bad, or, you know, when the troubles of life come, God will help you. And yet what I've been finding in the scriptures is that it's filled with stories of people that things aren't going well, and God has to step in. And Psalm 23 is that very thing, is that David is confident in God's, in God's love and in God's power and in his promise that no matter what, he will always lead us to peace. And I use this illustration as I did for all the other ones 
to remind us that in this world, we, we sometimes take what we find in this world and we attribute it to God. Maybe God won't come through for us like these other people have. But the reality is, is that God will and God does come through. And God will stop at nothing to carry you through. And it's what Joel, it's what Joel read, he said, where Jesus says, my peace I give to you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. God's promise is always yes. Will you pray with me? God, we are, we always stand in awe of you when you reveal yourself more clearly. Now, God, we've had fun here this morning with some of the stories, some of the jokes, but it's my prayer now that that the truth behind the text this morning would resonate with each one of us. Not only that it would resonate, Lord, but that you would actually make us feel it in a very special way. God, we thank you because you are our God, because you are our King, because you choose to do it every single day. And so I pray a special prayer of blessing on the church that as we leave this place and if we get caught up 